0: Give the introduction and leeway into it, and then we'll definitely, definitely hit the ground running as far as scripture is concerned. In the, this study that we have been going through the last couple of weeks, uh, there is no shortage of scripture. Anybody thankful for that? Amen. I'm glad that we don't just build doctrines off of one scripture. Amen. Praise God. We, let, we, don't, we don't try to interpret Scripture on our own, but we interpret Scripture with the Scripture. Amen. There is enough Scripture for us to be saved, and so we don't need to create doctrines to help us be saved. We can simply live by the Word of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. We don't have to, when, we, when we're questioned on our faith, when we have to give a defense, of our faith uh, there is plenty of evidence in the scripture for what we believe amen that's that's an important thing folks that's a big deal that's a big deal so uh, we're going to continue our our study Uh, this uh, is part three uh, one god part number three amen Uh, so uh, as i have mentioned the last couple of weeks I am not a scholar, uh, I uh, thankfully have books that are written by scholars, uh, and so I, I try to glean from them uh, and, uh, and understand uh, scripture uh, with uh, a little bit of help sometimes, but I, I do thank the Lord that uh, he has uh, opened my eyes. Uh, I am able uh, at this point to see the truth that he has uh, revealed through his word. Uh, and I, I really am extremely thankful for that um, you know it, it is uh, very important that we not and we're going to actually read scripture about this tonight that we're not blinded uh, to uh, the word of the Lord by traditions by philosophies by the rudiments of men uh, but that we simply uh, see what the scripture the word of God has to say to us and so uh, just to, to kind of Go back and and recall some of the things that we've talked about. Anybody remember the two word phrase that we've discussed, that we introduced? Monarchianism is one word. Modalistic, so modalistic monarchianism uh, is what has, uh, what we call oneness Pentecostals have been uh, put under the umbrella of modalistic monarchianism. Uh, Anybody wanna attempt to give a brief description of modalistic monarchianism. Wasn't sure anybody would necessarily step up to that. But the, those two words, modalistic, refers to the different modes uh, or the, what we call manifestations of God. Uh, we specifically, uh, it, is, it is specific to uh, you know, what, what we have termed God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, uh, and so so in those three manifestations of God, they uh, uh, they have been referred to as the modes, the modes of God. So that's where modalistic comes from. Uh, and so uh, the second word, monarchianism, means uh, one rule, so a, a a one God reign. Okay, and so we believe that one God reigns or rules, but He has revealed Himself in three different modes or manifestations, but uh, as I have told you the last couple of weeks, uh, I do, even though it it may uh, seemingly fit uh, a description of a oneness Pentecostal, I do resist uh, coming under umbrellas like modalistic monarchianism, uh, because I simply want to believe the scripture. I don't want a label to define uh, what I believe. Uh, and you can h- carry that conversation into other areas and aspects of, you know, why do we call ourselves Pentecostal? Why do we call ourselves apostolic? Why do we call ourselves these things? And, and th- that can have the same effect. But really when it boils down to it, we just want to believe the Scripture. And so, so uh, the, the, when we talk about the oneness of God or one God, uh, or uh, as, as some would call us Jesus' name or Jesus only, uh, and, and so when we talk about that, or when we're talked about, uh, we are put under that umbrella of modalistic monarchianism. Uh, and so they uh, try to box us in, but I just want to teach or live the word. Uh, and so, I thank, thankfully, I'm not ashamed of what I believe. Uh, and uh, so we live in what the scripture has to say. If you are put into, uh, if you are believe in one god what's the what's the word that is also put upon you what's the category that is also placed upon you heretic anybody a happy heretic tonight (laughs) heretic basically meaning that you uh, don't believe what the orthodox uh, 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 teaching of the church is uh, and so when we refer to that we are referring to catholicism uh, which is, uh, they, were, they were called uh, heretics uh, when we began stepping out. I mean, that's for, for generations, Protestants and, and Catholics were essentially at war. Uh, you can see that in your history books, uh, but that's because they were heretics. They didn't believe what the church had taught, and so they were uh, not just uh, uh, cast out of the church, they were persecuted. Uh, and so uh, we read scripture Uh, in Acts chapter 24 verse 14 that as Paul was standing before uh, the governor uh, and King Agrippa uh, he said I I confess thee after the way which they call heresy so worship I the God of my fathers believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets we may not believe like orthodox church uh, Catholicism or likewise but we simply believe the scripture and if that means that I'm a heretic so be it. Anybody with me? Am I all by myself? All right. So Paul was teaching in his day. He was teaching something different than what the church or, or the orthodox belief system was teaching. He was a Jew, remember? And the Jews, they were, when Jesus came along, they're, they're the ones that, that crucified him. And so any, any teaching uh, that followed Jesus... Uh, would make someone a heretic according to Jewish uh, teaching. Uh, so we've talked about these lessons, and we've gone through uh, a couple of lessons so far, and we have looked uh, at one God uh, from the Old Testament perspective. We we went through scriptures, multiple, many scriptures in the Old Testament, proclaiming, declaring one God. Uh, we, we looked at challenging scriptures that that... Uh, are sometimes used to uh, defend uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, and we talked about how we, how we handle that. We have to be able to deal with, with those things. And so uh, in, in a loving manner, okay? We can, we can uh, give a defense of the gospel without being defensive. Amen? And we can give a defense of the gospel without being offensive either. Okay, speak the truth in love. Praise God. And so we made our way through the Old Testament. Uh, What is is the, uh, I I don't think we we specifically talked about it, but uh, we definitely read the scripture. Uh, But the Jewish teaching uh, is called, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, anybody know what that's called in the Hebrew? The Shema, uh, which means to hear hero is where the lord our god is one lord and so that is uh what set the jews apart from all other nations is that they served one god and him alone and multiple times in the old testament god himself declared i'm it all by myself there's none beside me in fact we'll we'll briefly revisit uh, a little bit of those scriptures uh tonight as we go through this lesson tonight uh, we talked last week. We, we, we went from Old Testament in the first week and we, we went into the Gospels last week. Okay, if, if, if there's going to be one God, he's got to be one God all the time, right? God does not change, right? He's the same yesterday, today, forever. And so if, if God is one God in the Old Testament, he's got to be one God in the New Testament. And so how better to test that then when uh jesus came and so if jesus came and he's uh, junior god if he's uh, the second person in the godhead uh, as defined by uh, trinitarian doctrine uh, then uh, we we see a difference in god that we don't see in the old testament and so that can't be we have to reconcile the scripture and so we went through last week uh, and we discussed Uh, one god in the gospels that jesus christ a man is god you can start in the beginning anybody remember that john chapter one verse number one in the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god the same was in being with god all things were made by him without him was not anything made that was made and we discussed that we went through multiple scriptures again we've got to not build a doctrine and something as important as who God is is not going to be found in one scripture. To describe who God is is going to be found in multiple places throughout the scripture that can be reconciled. And so we went through many places in just the Gospels, those four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we saw multiple places where uh, we see one God. He is manifest, come in flesh as Jesus Christ. Okay? And it's that that sets the tone for tonight. Because when we go into uh, the epistles, uh, so that is all the letters uh, that the apostles wrote, uh, specifically Paul. Paul is, is the uh, foremost writer uh, that you'll find in the epistles, uh, the letters. Uh, that the Apostles wrote, but you will see uh, glimpses elsewhere in other epistles written by other writers, as well as the book of Revelation. So we're going to be talking about those tonight. Uh, and so uh, we, we need to kind of get a springboard to get us started, right? Let's get a springboard to get us started. So you've got your Bibles with you, I hope. It's Bible study after all. Uh, If your Bible is on your phone or tablet, that's all right. Uh, But uh, as long as you are familiar with it. Amen? If you only pick it up for for church, something's wrong. You need to be familiar with the Word. Get to know your sword. All right, Ephesians chapter number 4. We are going to uh, hit many scriptures tonight. but I will try to be cognizant of the time. So I've got until 9 o'clock, right? Just trying to see who's listening. Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 5. There's, this is a, a classic one that gets Pentecostal shouting. Okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 5. Let's read it together, Okay? ready one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all praise god so we see right away uh, because we need to establish that the the writers believed still in one god okay jesus did not change that thinking When we read Jesus' teaching, his words, his instruction, Jesus did not change the the teachings of the Old Testament regarding one God. And so neither should the apostles. Everybody with me? The apostles should continue to teach what Jesus taught them and showed them. There's one God. Jesus reiterated the Shema when a lawyer asked him, Lord, what's the greatest of the commandments? Remember? you're O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that. So Jesus reiterated the teaching of the Old Testament. Every good Jewish boy and girl was supposed to be taught the Shema. Right? So that means that every, that, that teaching continued on even through Jesus' ministry. And when the apostles began their ministry, after Jesus had ascended, they needed to continue that teaching as well. There's one God. Okay? So Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. When we look at uh, James, James was the half-brother of Jesus, okay? James, if you recall, uh, James did not at first believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He did not at first follow Jesus. But later on, he did. And so James wrote an epistle. He wrote a letter to the, the, the churches. Uh, and so in James chapter 2, verse number 19, let's go there. Uh, James is, uh, now you've got less territory to cover in the New Testament, so so it should be a little quicker to find. Uh, James is right after uh, Hebrews, James chapter 2 and verse number 19. He, James is talking about faith and works. Without, uh, without works, your faith is dead. Okay, being by itself. Faith without works is dead. Uh, So he's continuing that conversation that your faith has to do something in you. Somebody say amen to that. Your faith has to do something in you. And so James, he says in verse number 19, chapter 2, verse number 19, he said, you believe, so there's your faith, you believe that there is, say it out loud, one God, you are doing well. All right, pat yourself on the back. And then, he said, your faith needs to do something more because the devils also believe and tremble. Their faith causes an action. You know that devils have faith? They believe that there's one God. And they tremble at that thought. What about you? Amen. So James himself the half-brother of Jesus, now a follower of the Lord, he also dictates that there is one God. So this teaching continues. We go into Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Romans chapter 11, verse number 33. We'll read uh, uh, four verses of Scripture here. Again, we're just setting the stage that the, in the, the epistles, the writings of the apostles, uh, through a- after the Gospels, everything after the Gospels, that we're establishing that the teaching of one God has continued. Okay? Verse 33, Romans chapter 11. O oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever amen amen everything's wrapped up in god who's who's been his counselor everything is through him by him for him to him whatever you want to say it's all about him anybody with me all right so we know just from these few verses That the teaching of the Shema, one God, has continued, not just in Jesus' teaching, but has continued in the apostles' teaching. Okay? So the apostles were teaching one God. Now, how do we reconcile one God but give glory to Jesus Christ? That's where we start to have some fun. Amen. Now, I want to I wanna quickly just, just kind of tuck that in your pocket right now. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Okay? Um, I just need three, because uh, I want to go back and just quickly touch base uh, for something that, that is kind of tucked in the Gospels that I didn't get to mention last week uh, so before we go into uh, the remainder of this lesson. So I need three people to volunteer to read Scripture. Okay. So Mark chapter uh, 13, verse 11. Grayson, you raised your hand. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 20. Uh, Mark 13, 11, over there. You've got Matthew 10, verse 20. One more person. Uh, Sister Schlotman, Luke chapter 21, verse 15. Okay? So, what we're going to read here in these three verses is uh, if... Again, we, we have to be able to give a defense of, of our teaching. And giving a defense also means understanding and challenging other doctrines. Okay? So in a challenge to the doctrine of the Trinity, we just just one thing to kind of tuck in your pocket with this. Uh, so Jesus mentioned in these three verses that you're going to be brought before the council that there's going to be persecution that arises and that you don't need to take thought of what you're going to say. Everybody with me? Okay? It's the common theme in these 3 verses is that you don't need to give thought of what you're going to say. And we'll see why. Okay? So, let's start Matthew chapter 10 verse 20. Okay, so if you're brought before the council and you've got to give an answer for your faith, give a defense, that you don't need to take thought of what you're going to say because who's going to speak? Spirit of your Father. Okay, so the Father is going to be speaking for you. Okay? All right? Is that my understanding that correctly? You are, you are my, my check and balance. Okay? So we see the Father's going to speak for you. That's what Jesus said. Okay? Uh, let's go to um, uh, Luke chapter 21, verse 15. Sister Schlotman. So who's, who's going to give you a mouth? Jesus. Jesus is saying, I will. Okay? Go back, go back and read the context. Jesus says... I will give you a mouth to speak. Okay? All right. So so we've got the Father. We've got Jesus. Both of these are going to speak for you. Okay? And Mark 13:11. It's who? It's the Holy Spirit that's going to speak. So who's speaking for you? the Father, Jesus, or the Holy Ghost? Which one's it going to be? Well, if we, if we believe as we do, we believe that they're one in the same. Amen? All right. Now, I'm just going to give you some, some scriptures here real quick. Uh, you can write them down, put them in your notes uh, if you're taking notes. Uh, but, uh, you know, along those same lines as to, you know, who's going to speak for you, uh, which spirit is in you? Who's dwelling in you? Okay? Uh, and so, uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 speaks of the spirit of God being in you. Verse 10 speaks of Christ in you. Which one, which one is it? First Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, verse 16, speaks of the Spirit of God in you. 1 Corinthians six nineteen speaks of the Holy Ghost, which is given by God, which is of God, I should more properly say. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, we just read that. Uh, it's one God and Father above, Father who is above all, through all, and in you all. Okay? Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, speaks of God working in you. Colossians 1.27 speaks of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So who is in you? Okay, well, on the day of Pentecost, only the Holy Ghost was given. So if if it's just the Holy Ghost that's been given, how did Jesus and the Father get in us? If you believe as we do, they're one and the same. Somebody say amen. All right. So that was just a little bit of of help there for you. All right. So now let's get back to uh, the lesson. Okay. So the teaching of one God continued in the writings of the apostles in the the New Testament. And so we we need to reconcile. If nothing changed, how do we deal with Jesus? Let's start in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. Let's go there. Folks, this is exciting stuff. First Timothy chapter three verse sixteen. We're gonna read this one together. Say amen when you've got it. Okay, I heard, heard it, Okay. First Timothy chapter three verse sixteen. Are you ready? First Timothy is before second Timothy. All right. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Here we go. And without controversy great is the mystery of godliness: God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. All right. Paul writes to the young preacher Timothy and says, Timothy, there's no controversy about this. There's no debate about this. There's no trying to figure it out. God was manifest in the flesh. What does that mean? What does manifest mean? Shown, okay? That works. Made into, yep. Yeah. Revealed, become, however you want to say it. All of it is simply that He was made real. God was made known to us in flesh. He was manifest, revealed to us in flesh. Amen. So the God who is, as Jesus said in John chapter 4, God is a spirit. So the God who is spirit, who cannot be seen, was made flesh so that he could be seen. You've heard me say it many, many times, is that the God who could not bleed, who was our Savior, the God who could not bleed, became man that he could bleed. God who could not die became man so that he could pay the price for our sin. Now, that, let I me mean, just pause there for a moment uh, and just go back to uh, one of our other lessons. So when we speak of the Son of God or the Son of Man, to what are we referring? Always, always the flesh. Anytime you read about Jesus being the Son of God or Son of Man, It is always referring to the flesh of Christ. Okay? If Jesus was indeed a second person in the Trinity, now you would have to either believe what we believe as far as the dual nature of Christ, or you believe that the second person of the Godhead died. God cannot die. Right? Right? So we believe that God was manifest in the flesh, and as a man, the man, Christ Jesus, died. And we're going to read some of that here in just a little bit. All right. So God was manifest in the flesh. Praise God. That's, that's Paul writing to Timothy. Okay? So, so when we're looking at one God, how do we know who he is? Paul said he was manifest in the flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 Let's go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 We're going to read a few verses of scripture here. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 In whom the god of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. You notice what he says? Who is the image of God should shine unto us. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. The words of Jesus just ring in my mind when he spoke to Philip, when Philip asked him, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Jesus said to Philip, Philip, have I been so long time with you and yet you don't know me? If you've seen me, You've seen the Father. Folks, you talk about reconciling Scripture. It just dovetails. You don't have to work. Because it works. The Word of God is right. And so we see Jesus who is the image of God and the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. <coughs> Colossians 1, 14. Speaking of Jesus, again, the, the writer has continued the teaching of one God. Okay? There's no, no confrontation there. So we're trying to figure out How Jesus fits into this one God uh, and how we reconcile that. And so, so far, we've seen God was manifest in flesh. We see that He is the image of God, the glory of God's in, in His face. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, speaking of Jesus, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Verse 15. Look at this. Who is the, what's that word? who is the image of what? The invisible God. If you want to see God, look at Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. He is the lamb lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I'm, I'm stepping out for a second. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the plan of salvation from the beginning. That's why when we say the firstborn of every creature, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. What's that word, word in the Greek? Logos. What does logos mean? The expression of God. The plan of God. The thought of God. Okay? That's why when he says that he's the firstborn of every creature, he can still be God and still be the firstborn of of every creature because God's plan, God's will, God's work, had a beginning. Sonship always has a beginning. Okay? And when we talk about sonship regarding Jesus Christ, what are we referring to? The flesh. Right. Okay. You got a number of things working there. You're keeping up. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Okay. Verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. By Him all things consist. Amen. Now, I want you to think logically here for a moment. If He is before all things, how can that be? If this is a trinity. If the trinity, the doctrine of the trinity believes that they are, the the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal, co-eternal, Okay. So if that's the case, then that means that they all existed at the same time. Well, if that's the case, then you have to reconcile this scripture because it sounds like somebody came first. Am I thinking logically? Okay. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning Uh, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, the first place. You remember what God said in the Old Testament? He said, I will not share my glory with anybody else. But we're not done. Verse number 19. For it pleased the Father. Now, Father, in this case, because he's, we're referring to Jesus Christ as referring to the flesh. Okay? It's not every case when you're talking about the Father because He's our Father as well. Okay? He's the Father of creation. But in this case, we're referring in the context to Jesus Christ. And so it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Fullness of what? I'm glad you asked. Let's have a look. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 8. Fullness of what? So Colossians chapter 2, verse number 8. This is where, again, I mentioned earlier that we've got to be careful that we're following Scripture and not the teachings of man. The Trinity did not come into existence uh, until man created it in around A.D. 300. Okay? I think it was roughly 83.12. That's when it started. Okay? So, that's a creation of man. So we've got to make sure that we're not blinded, that we're not fooled by the doctrines of man. So Colossians chapter 2, verse number 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after... Christ. Verse number nine. Let's read this together. Ready? For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. We have seen that Jesus is the image of the invisible God with the glory of God shining in his face. And now we see that it pleased God that in him all fullness dwell and that in him the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily Amen Folks, my Bible tells me there's only one true God and that word Godhead is Godhood Well, I'm sorry Jesus can't be the true God if there's the God of the Old Testament proclaiming to be the true God if they're different. They've got to be one and the same. But let's just continue on. Just let's, let's keep thinking logically. Verse number 10. You are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Well, what that tells me is that every other principality and power is under him. If Jesus is the second person in the Godhead, that means that the Father and the Spirit are below Him. They can't be co-equal according to the doctrine. But if you believe like we believe, notice the theme, then that we understand that they are one and the same. Praise God. So, We see the image of God made visible, made manifest in flesh, Jesus Christ, God dwelling among us. Why did he he do it? Why did God, because you remember the scripture in the Old Testament, we went through multiples and we'll see see a couple here in just a minute. But you see multiples in the Old Testament, uh, as God spoke through Isaiah, that I'm, I'm not only God by myself, but I alone am your Savior. Right? You remember that? You're holding me accountable. So if God says, I I alone am your Savior, then He's got to be the one to come save us. Right? So why did God do it? He did it because He's our Savior. Why was God manifest in the flesh? To save us. Remember what the angel told, uh, told Joseph? That not only is his name going to be called Jesus, but you're gonna, his name shall be called Emmanuel. God with us. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Give you a chance to find that. I remember. As a teenager, Bishop asked me a question. I I forget if I was dealing with uh, trying to confront Trinitarian doctrine or what whatnot, but maybe he was just trying to teach me. I don't know, uh, but I, I don't remember the circumstances of it. But I remember the question. He asked, "Where was God when Jesus was on Earth?" Now, you can actually find multiple answers about that uh, because uh, uh, we understand God is not limited by space or time, amen, but we're going to see one of those answers here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That sounds great. Thank the Lord for it. He's reconciled us to himself. Verse number 19. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. He's committed unto, unto us uh, the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God by him. God alone is Savior. God was manifest in the flesh, and he did that for one purpose, to reconcile us to himself. To bring us back into proper relationship with Him. And the only way to do that is if we could somehow be made righteous again. And we were made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. The image, the bodily image of God. First Timothy chapter 2 verse number 3. It's almost like Paul reaches back into Isaiah's writing for a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Okay? Folks, Paul knew that Jesus is the one that came to save the world. He knows that. But Paul right here says that God is our Savior. You've got to reconcile Paul's own writings if you believe the Trinity. Okay? who will have, Verse number four, Who will have all men to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator, mediator between God and men. Who? The man. Notice that verbiage. The man, Christ Jesus. God could not die. Folks, God, you've got to be careful. You, 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 I'm, I'm extremely careful when I preach to make sure that I never say that God died on the cross. God cannot die. But God manifests in the flesh. The flesh, the Son, died perfect sacrifice but God did not die on the cross okay so one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time all right let's go to uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse number 6 so right now we're, we're still talking about uh, the one God who became man and we're talking right now about why he did it. To reconcile us to himself, to be our savior, our mediator. In verse number, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, uh, this is one of my favorite, favorite portions of scripture. Uh, speaking of, uh, Paul, Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse number 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Don't forget. These people who are writing this and the people who were ministered to by Jesus and taught, they they saw him in a different light than you and I do because he was right there with them. And that's in, in fact why the Jews wanted to stone him is that you remember remember the scripture last week is that this is a man who's making himself God. But we understand that it was god who made himself a man okay he's in the form of god thought it not robbery to be equal with god but made himself of no reputation took upon him the form of a servant was made unto the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself became obedient unto death even the death of the cross okay i you gotta you gotta pause right there i'm, I'm I don't have all this stuff in my notes. I just, this this is just stuff that I can't can't let pass. Okay? Found in fashion as a man, humbled himself, came obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. All right. So, when you're wrestling with with the doctrine of the Trinity, they're co-equal, co-eternal, okay? So, if that's the case, how can one be subordinated to another and still be God what we understand if you believe what we believe is that God was manifest in the flesh and the dual nature of Christ he had to submit the will of the flesh to the will of the spirit okay to submit the will of the flesh. You remember what Jesus prayed in the garden. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. Can a God pray to another God and still be God? You remember hearing, hearing teaching that you pray to somebody who has authority and power to do what you cannot. may remember that? That's why we pray. Because that's, that's, that, I can't do it. I can't handle it all in myself. So I pray to one who has power to do those things. And so if, if the second person in the Godhead is praying, then he is not co-equal. Does not have the same power. Unless you believe as we believe. Amen. Alright, so where where was I? Okay, became obedient. Okay, it's verse number 9. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus. At what name? Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth things under the earth. Wait a second. Who's going to bow? Everyone and everything. Where are those people and things? Heaven, earth, and under the earth. Everything's going to bow at the name of Jesus. Now, in that verbiage, I cannot see That God the Father will bow at the name of Jesus. Are you with me? All right. Okay, well, Pastor, what about the next verse? That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Where was the glory of God found in some of the scripture that we read already tonight? In the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, just in case you still are struggling with that, let me take you back to it. This is where I told you we're going to go back to the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23. I'm only pulling one scripture because we already have read in our other lessons, we've already read uh, the context. But in Isaiah 45, verse 23, God is speaking through his prophet. And he says, I have sworn by myself The word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. And what does he say? That unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Scripture just just works. The word of God just works. Amen. All right. Uh, let me, let's take a break for a moment. Let me, let me give you a challenging verse. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. Everybody, everybody turn there. Folks, you've got to know what you believe. Somebody say amen to that. I keep having you say amen because I want to I know you're engaged. I don't need it, but I want to know that you're engaged, that you're keeping up with me. 1 John. Chapter number 5, verse number 7. You've got it, say amen. So, John writes, and he says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Ooh, man, that just shattered everything that we've ever taught. Anybody ever feel like that when you're confronted with that scripture? It's okay. It's okay to admit that. That's why we're dealing with it. Okay? Now, first of all, you've got to believe that the word of God is right and true. Okay? And that everything, when you reconcile the rest of scripture, one Scripture is not going to throw it out of whack. If you've got the the reconciliation throughout okay if you believe like we believe they are one and the same so there's a couple ways that you can look at this number one is sometimes writers will write in poetic form okay in other words you'll you'll say the same thing in a different way anybody ever done that I know, I know I've done it many times in, in writing and teaching. You know, just to, just to kind of help get the point across, you'll say it the same way or same thing in a different way. Preachers, all, many times you'll hear them as they're preaching. Uh, when, they, when they're trying to make a point, it's going to be this and this and this. Three different things, all meaning the same thing, just to bring the point home. It's emphasis, okay? So that's one way to look at it. Uh, And and I'm I'm not a fan of of running from Scripture, okay? And so you have to know what you believe by reconciling the rest of Scripture. Who's the Father? What's His name? Go ahead, don't be shy. Jesus. Can you prove that from Scripture? I hope so after these lessons. Who's the Word? Can you prove that from Scripture? Okay? Okay? Who's the Holy Ghost? Can you prove that from Scripture? Don't be scared of the Scripture. Okay? The same thing happens with uh, Matthew 28, verse 19, where Jesus said to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You ever get scared of that one? Okay? Can you prove who the Lord is from Scripture. If you can, you don't have to fear it. Now, if you, if you want a, an easy way out, but I challenge you, don't, don't take this way out. Okay? I'll give you an easy way out, but I encourage you, don't take it. In John chapter five, 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, that we just read, that there's three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost. These three are one, okay? I want to read in a couple different translations. Uh, I just grabbed a couple uh, to put them in my notes, uh, so I didn't didn't search to try to find these. Uh, You'll find this this, uh, reading in many translations now. Uh, And so I'm going to read from the American Standard Version. um, And uh, the American Standard Version of the same verse says, it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. That's another version. In the God's Word translation, it is shrunk down, and says there are three witnesses. Do you know why? Again, I'm giving you an easy way out, but I challenge you not to take it. The reason is, is that this verse, at least the way it, the way it's uh, here in the King James is not found not only in an increasing number of modern translations and the, but the reason that you can't find it in many modern translations is because there's no uh, what, what uh, one writer said no attestation for this verse in the early Greek manuscripts in other words it might not should be there okay Now, that's a a challenge. Do you understand why I'm challenging not to take that easy route? Because the same thing can actually be said about Matthew 28 19. But if you know your scripture, you don't have to fear that. Because it lines up still with scripture. Because I don't want to be the one that starts to try to tear apart the scripture and say this doesn't belong there and this doesn't belong there. You see the danger? We've been given this word. That scripture does not contradict the rest of scripture. Take it. Let it be the word of God to you. Let it challenge you. Don't don't try to tear it apart. Know what you believe. All right. So that's the challenging verse for the night. Okay? All right. So I'm just going to... We're going to end with just a a couple other uh, portions of context here. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10. What we find in Jeremiah 10, verse 10 is we find the king. Everybody say the king. Jeremiah ten ten. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. At his wrath the earth shall tremble. The nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Okay? He is the everlasting king. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13. Paul writes to the preacher, and he says, I give you charge in the sight of God who quickens all things and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that you keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only Potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords. He's it. He's it. So, if there's a king, there's got to be a throne. Praise God. All right. Uh, Let's let's go um, Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3. And I encourage you... Uh, in many of these scriptures. Read the context. Go back and get, get the full, full context. Read the chapter. Uh, but I'm just going to pull a couple verses out of Hebrews chapter 1. Folks, Hebrews, uh, I look forward to the day that I teach on the full book of Hebrews. It is so rich, so full. Uh, so, so we'll get there. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3. Who being the brightness of his glory, sounds familiar, doesn't it? who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, there's again a challenge for you. What happens when you see Jesus, as, as Stephen did, sat on the right hand of God? Say it again. The right hand is the hand of power. Okay? Paul wrote to the Romans. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is what? The power of God unto salvation. God was manifest in the flesh for one purpose, to save us. Okay? All right. So, he says uh, that... He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high in verse number 8. But unto the Son, He says, what? Sorry, say that a little bit louder. Everybody else say it louder. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Folks, it's, it's right. It's right. Uh, let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. So we, we've got a king. We've got a scepter. Now he needs a throne. Revelation 4, verse 2. Immediately, John says, I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven. And how many sat on the throne? Oh, folks, say it louder. One sat on the throne. One sat on the throne. Praise God. There's more scripture we can go into, but I'm uh, trying to wrap this up. All right. God is the same. When? Okay, with him is no variableness nor shadow of turning in other words he doesn't change praise God for that so the God of the Old Testament from the beginning is the same God through the Old Testament the same God in the Gospels the same God in the epistles and the writings uh, of Paul and James and Peter and John all right We're going to end it with these next few verses. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 4. Who has worked and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last I am he. Okay? So God says who's done this work? From the beginning and to the end I'm it. Okay? Isaiah 44 verse number 6 Thus saith the Lord the King of Israel and his Redeemer the Lord of hosts I am the first, I am the last. Beside me, there's no God. Okay, all right. Logically, can there be two firsts? Can there be two lasts? Okay, there's only one. God said, Old Testament, I'm first, I'm the last. Everybody with me? Do you see what I see? Let's go to Revelation. Chapter number one. Folks, let's go ahead ahead and turn there all together. We're, we're, We're three scriptures from being done. Maybe ten. Revelation chapter one, verse number eight. Jesus said, if you've got a red-letter edition, you can see that this is Jesus speaking. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. Okay. In case you miss it in the language, uh, Alpha and Omega are Greek letters. That is the beginning letter. In other words, that's our A. And omega is our Z. Or if you're in Canada, Z. Okay? So if Jesus was to say it without using the Greek letters, he would say, I am A and Z. The beginning and the ending. Okay? Folks, in the Old Testament, God said... I'm the first and the last. Here we're reading in Revelation chapter 1. Jesus says, "I'm the first and the last." Hmm. Revelation chapter 22. This is our this is our final stopping point. Revelation 22. All right, let's go ahead and we'll, we'll just add the extra verse in there. Uh, but we'll, we'll start at verse number 12, Revelation 22. Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first. In case, you, in case you're wondering... He gives you, there's that poetic statement. Remember what I was telling you? Saying the same thing in three different ways. I'm Alpha, Omega, beginning and end, first and last. Does that excite anybody? Blessed are they which do his commandments, that they might have right to the tree of life. Remember the tree of life? Amen, And may enter in through the gates of the, into the city. For without our dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh alive. Verse number 16. Praise God. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. He's it. He's it. We've talked about these last three weeks. Not one God in three persons. Just one God in three parts. Old Testament. Gospels. And the writings of the apostles. He's it. He doesn't change. one God all the time. Amen. And I thank the Lord today that that one God who came to this world, dwelt among us, and beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That God, who alone is Savior, became man to pay the price of that salvation. But he's coming again. Praise God, he's coming again. And we're not going to see a a father who who sacrificed his child, per se. We're going to see one God who chose himself and is now, he reconciled us to himself. He's coming back to get us. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together tonight. Continuing in Revelation chapter 22, verse number 20. He which testifieth these things, saith, surely I come quickly. And the writer said, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. Folks, if anybody, if anybody would have seen something that would have would have uh, stirred something up that, that maybe God is not what we've been taught John in his revelation would have seen it and what he's saying is even so come Jesus God we love you tonight we are so blessed so thankful God for your word so thankful God for the truth the knowledge of your scripture i pray oh god that we not just leave this doctrine leave these scriptures here and forget when we go from this place but that god we would continue to seek understanding to pursue god uh, knowledge of your word and hide that word deep down within so that when the time comes lord that the the father would speak that when the time comes the son would speak that when the time comes the holy ghost would speak. And we know, oh God, that that is all you. And God, that you can give answer. You can speak through your people. God, I pray tonight, use us, lead us, guide us, Lord, in your way. As we give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you tonight. Dismissed in Jesus' name. Greet one another.